0: Welcome back to the Pharmacy Near Me podcast. On today's episode, Ruben Santiago is interviewing me, Craig Kokio. We kind of flip the script, turn the tables, flip classroom, whatever you want to call it. On today's podcast, it's a little different. Uh, You get to hear a little bit about me. Enjoy.
1: All right, welcome everyone. My name is Ruben Santiago. And in this Thanksgiving edition of the Pharmacy Near Me podcast, we're going to flip the script a little bit. So I'm an emergency medicine pharmacist. And today I have the privilege and pleasure of interviewing Dr. Craig Cochio, who is also an emergency medicine pharmacist who needs absolutely no introduction at all. But if you don't know him, uh, please, Craig, uh, dro- drop a couple bars and let us know who you are.
0: Oh, I don't know if I'll be able to put any bars together. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> my, my musical skills are not, it's not what I'm known for, I guess. Uh, but yeah, so my name is Craig Kokio I'm a emergency medicine pharmacist. I've been an ER pharmacist for about 10 years now. I uh, work here in Tyler, Texas at Christus Trinity Mother Francis Hospital. Um, I'm also a residency program director for the PGY2 here. Um, I've done a bunch of other stuff uh, throughout my career from doing a lot of writing with the EM PharmD blog uh, to... Teaching. I was a uh, faculty for an extended period of time at, at Rutgers University which I love um, and uh, kind of moving on to different things now so I started working officially with uh, high-yield med reviews so they're uh, medical education company I'm really excited about that It's uh, awesome. still f- I'm full-time clinical pharmacist it's part of one of the things we'll talk about today uh, that I uh, uh, the, the like the the whole core of that medical education philosophy is that you have to, um, pra- or teach from practice, and it's uh, a lot to do with uh, the, the the owner and director of the company, uh, Tony Bustai, and then also one of uh, his mentors, and uh, I, I share that too with William Osler. And uh, or Osler, sorry, uh, there's a lot of controversy in that pronunciation too, but. Uh, yeah. Having a lot of uh, medical education philosophy teaching, having having that basis in practice is is fundamental. So that's uh, kind of what I'm what I'm doing these days.
1: Awesome, awesome, man! Uh, thanks again for letting me interview you. So, um, so what's your experience been like going back to the beginning? Like, where'd you go to pharmacy school? What kind of residency
0: did you do? And yeah, so I went to Long Island University in Brooklyn, New York. So- yeah. 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 It's a great pharmacy school. <laughs> I had a great time. There. Excuse me. Um, had a great time there. So I'm actually, I'm not from New York. Uh, I'm, I'm from Canada. Uh, so how I got, yeah, how I got there, uh, was kind of an interesting story too. So, uh, in high school, I ran track uh, and cross country, uh, and, uh, I didn't want to pay for school. So right. I used that to pay for school, uh, and the only school that would give me the scholarship I wanted, uh, and was Division One NCAA was Long Island University, and I had no intent of doing pharmacy because I didn't know what a pharmacist was. Right. Uh, but they didn't have engineering at LIU, so I couldn't do that. Uh, gotcha. To, to pick something else, and it ended up being pharmacy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that well, that's, that's awesome. the thought. Yeah. That's the thought I put into pharmacy as a profession initially. Oh I, yeah, yeah. So I feel you uh, there. <laughs> <laughs> which I know is a lot very different and it's, it's just interesting throughout the years just talking to people that had always worked in pharmacies or their parents were pharmacists and just seeing the different
1: it's kind of, so different, yeah, yeah the,
0: the the different paths that took all kinds of people uh to the profession but anyway so I went to pharmacy school there um I had a great pharmacy school experience had a lot of great friends there good teachers uh good faculty uh then I did my first year residency in new jersey at st michael's medical center so it's a it was well it still is a really small hospital in newark new jersey um (coughs) excuse me the reason why i did that residency program was a few reasons um one i couldn't stay in new york uh, because at the time you had to have you you had to be a u.s citizen to get licensed as a pharmacist in new york state which is very strange and I wasn't a citizen. I'm still not a citizen. Uh, right. I have a green card now, but at the time I had a, a, a work visa, um, but I couldn't get licensed in New York. So <clears throat> my wife is not a pharmacist. She works she worked for AIG at the time. So we had to stay in the New York City area. So I did my residency in, in New Jersey, but the the hospital, I was particularly interested in HIV pharmacotherapy. I thought that was what that's what I was going to do. Um, right. So that that population um, was, I mean, it was a small 170-ish bed hospital and about 165 of those beds were occupied by patients with HIV. So oh, it was wow. kind of like the, the perfect experience for me that I wanted to be in. Um, right. Clinic component to that pharmacy residency, you didn't do Kooning Clinic or anything like that. You did HIV Clinic and you were paired with an ID fellow and you saw patients throughout the year. So I was like, oh, this is gonna be perfect. Right. Um, yeah. But I'm not an HIV pharmacotherapy specialist. And the reason why is that the first day there, Um, in clinic, (coughs) it's kind of eye-opening where uh, uh, the ID fellow is like, hey, uh, you're a pharmacist. This is great. Uh, You just take care of all like the diabetes and asthma and stuff, and then I'll do the HIV stuff because I'm an ID fellow, right? I was like, oh, that's how this is going to work.
1: I'm actually here for the HIV.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I was like, (laughs) like, oh, no, 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 you're not. Uh, That's cool stuff, uh, but I need you to help with the diabetes. I'm like, hmm, I'm not interested in that. Uh, right. So, anyway, uh, did a lot of different specialties, had a lot of great. <coughs> <to> get... <coughs> Sorry, I'm dying here. Uh, it's not not Corona, I, I swear. <laughs> uh, but. Disclaimer, uh, just at the bottom. Yeah, <laughs> not Coronavirus. It's coffee deficiencies. But, um, yeah, so anyway, I started exploring different specialties, uh, ended up having a uh, student rotation. I was. Uh, a student at a in an ER is my last rotation as a pharmacy student at Maimonides Medical Center in in Brooklyn. Actually, Woo. I know, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. So I did. That's where I did my my. Uh, that's where I got my first experience. Well, there's more experiences before that, but uh, one of the first formative experiences, and it's something I thought about. So. Explored that a little bit more. Ended up getting a PGY2 at Rutgers uh, in the emergency department there. Awesome. Which I love. So that was a great hospital. It's technically Robert Wood Johnson University Hospital, which is now Barnabas Robert Wood Johnson University Hospital. Very, very long name. Um, But it was a great program, Um, great faculty, great ER. uh, Learned a lot there. Uh, And then, uh, yeah, so after that, got my first job at NYU. Um, so I was working in the emergency department there, which was an incredible experience. I got to work uh, with Dr. Goldfrank and Dr. Nelson in the emergency oh, cool. department. Right. Yeah, it was, it was it's shocking um, just watching them work in the ER uh, because, yeah, like it, patients would be there wanting a Norco script, and it's like you, you don't know who who you're talking to, and like they <laughs> right. were. But they were the most amazing physicians because a they didn't like walk into the patient room and <coughs> say, "Well, I'm I'm Lewis Goldfrank and blah blah." blah. They were just any other excellent ER physician, and they right. meet patients and the patients wouldn't know any different. Um, but like it was just incredible to watch the the and then the residents and the other attendings there that <coughs> they they work with. Um, again, it was all the same it was, it was an amazing experience, but, um, and it ended up going back to Rutgers, uh, to take over the faculty position there and the residency position there. Um, uh, just because that opportunity came up um, right? and I, I, couldn't pass it up. And then, uh, my wife and I got really tired of snow. Uh, so we decided to move somewhere. <laughs> but yes, we all do. <laughs> that didn't have snow. Uh, so we moved to Tyler, Texas. Um, and we love it here. We've been here almost, well, a little over five years now, um, and I've been working with Christus uh, since then. Uh, yeah, so that's kind of my my long spiel of a career and training, and uh, there's a lot of other tangents in there. Right, that's, that's the,
1: awesome, yeah. That's
0: the overview.
1: That's great, so being back in the ER now in Tower of Texas, and we were talking earlier in our first episode, we talked about like the COVID and how different it is in different areas of the United States. Uh, Has it changed for you at all now that we're in November, almost December with with the progression of COVID for you guys or has it stayed pretty steady?
0: Yeah, we've been pretty steady uh, throughout this whole thing. Um, We definitely have more patients admitted with uh, COVID than we ever had, uh, but we're still fully kind of under control, I guess you could say uh, the ER is kind of in holiday mode right now where we're not getting a lot of regular traffic in. It's really just super sick people. Um, but volumes are relatively low. Um, and, uh, like, as as I'm sure you're seeing like a lot of elective procedures are starting to shut down for the holiday. So beds are opening up that would normally be held. So patients are moving and, uh, this and that. So it's actually, like the whole experience has been strange, uh, it, it's it's been a pretty steady, but it's it's certainly nowhere near any or other areas in the country that have been hit harder. Um, right, we've kind right. of been very privileged in in what we've we've experienced here.
1: Right, that's good. That's good to hear. I know, like down in Miami, we're we we've been pretty steady, about like 130 inpatient OB uh, beds and admitted beds with Mm -hmm. patients with COVID and then like just reading, you know, the FDA's, EUA's that come out, seems like every other day these days, at first it was like the bamlanivimab, then the baricitinib, and now the new, the product from Regeneron was just eua and just trying to keep up with all that and how does that apply to us in the emergency department? Are are, are we gonna be seeing these patients You know, with Bamlan-Mivimab, it's a one hour infusion and then you have to watch them for an hour. But that ties up a bed for someone who's technically not that sick.
0: Yeah.
1: Higher risk of getting sicker for sure. But they're not that sick right now. And then you're tying up that bed for patients that are coming in who
0: are really sick. Yeah, there's a lot of muscle flexing in terms of uh, hospital administration and stuff. I don't understand uh, in terms of where those people are going to get the drug or... Get followed or who's gonna? Yeah. I don't know. There's a lot of things that there. It's uh, it's it's such an eye opening experience. Oh, for sure. sure. Like for healthcare in general, being exposed to to the public uh, right. and the I guess the public's awareness of how the operations of healthcare works and rightfully so, most people are like, this doesn't make any sense. Uh, right. caps Work like this. Why are all these rules here for no particular reason? Uh, right. And uh, like, hopefully, a lot of this is going to end up changing for the better in the future once, our, like, the dust had settled and we can critically think about things. But right now, it's it's a very much of a uh, uh, fire ready aim type situation with a yeah, lot of interventions either. that we're seeing where. Like I'm, I'm sure you deal with a lot of remdesivir also. Where yeah, we're kind of the gatekeepers, so to speak, uh, for the drug in the hospital. But the like the people that need it don't really get it, and the people that don't need it are the ones getting it, and right. nothing makes sense. Right. And, <laughs> whether or not it's truly helping, it's it's anyone's guess. Exactly. But you have, uh, like, conflicting
1: messages from di- different organizational bodies now saying it works, it doesn't work, use it with Baris Neb now and all this other stuff and well you know trying to just read the literature and do your best and we have to consult id for us to to get it. Yeah
0: the thing is too is one of the things that I think is not being talked about which is saying the most to me is that we haven't had a chance yet to sit down and talk about the failures of evidence-based medicine throughout this like it's we we easily forget how many papers have been retracted uh and how much uh misguidance has happened but we don't carry that forward or back to other papers that right probably should get another critical view uh and I, i struggle with this a lot because Again, one of the main paper, or one of the popular papers uh, a couple of months ago that was retracted in in New England Journal and JAMA as well, the, the only reason why these papers were retracted uh, and uh, withdrawn, essentially, were that everyone on the planet was looking at them. And right. specifically, people that don't have medical training, that have more mathematics and statistics training, were looking at these and saying, there's no way the results that right. you're presenting say this outcome. There's no way. So you've done something wrong. And I think about that a lot because how many other papers have we kind of read and we just don't, something doesn't sit right, but we can't explain it because we don't have the expertise in mathematics and statistics. Like we have a, we have a cursory understanding of it and we can talk about different tests, but we're not mathematicians, Uh, statisticians um, to the operational level that other people are. So it really makes me think about all the other things we're doing in medical practice in general that are based on papers that should have been retracted at at some point in time. And then going forward, nothing's been done to to mitigate the the retracted papers that have happened that have led to really interesting, (coughs) strange therapies for coronavirus. Like, we haven't done anything to correct any of that we just kind of passed it off as like wow these things happen right yeah it's like Hopefully oh, it won't happen again
1: trial and error kind of deal like oh we thought it was gonna work oh it turns out yeah we we what's that saying we put the cart in front of the horse in that one kind of deal yeah
0: so i i i, I it's gonna be kind of a painful experience but it's something that i think really needs to and it's just not being talked about i don't understand why i know it's hard to right. talk about i don't even know what the Right way to talk about it or solution to get to, um, but one one person that um, hopefully will kind of come out as a leader with this is it's some someone that I refer a lot of residents to for extra reading because I, I assign lots of books I guess um, right not just papers but I um, mean he's he's been on TED a bunch uh, Ben Goldacre uh, talked about a lot of bad science that's the name of his book and and right. talk where. Uh, they were like he's advocating primarily for <coughs> any research done <coughs> excuse me in human subjects should be open open access so if if you do any sort of research with any drug or procedure or anything in a human subject it should be open access and anybody should be able to find it and then a- assess the data on their own and, and right. come to this de- de- decision um, and that'd be an ideal state. And there's probably ways to do that, especially with the power of the internet now and all of our improved te- communication and technology that we've got. There's
1: yeah, for sure. gotta be a
0: way to do it, but I'm hoping someone like that's going to have a uh, interesting, innovative solution to, to all this. Cause I think that's going to be one of the most transformative things for, uh, for medicine in the next 15 years after this mess is settled. No,
1: absolutely. So Going back, because I know everyone's talking about COVID these days, but let's get back, let's get back to you. So why, in, in your PGY-1, what was that catalyst that was like, I, I think emergency medicine is for me? Like, you went to your HIV clinic, they're like, all right, you manage these other disease states, I'm going to focus on HIV, and you're like, you know, this may not be for me right now. What was that, like, that light bulb that went off in your head, and you're like, emergency medicine, that's my jam right now?
0: Yeah, I think it was more the the, the functional application of knowledge for pharmacy. Uh, I I could get instant gratification for a recommendation or yeah. uh, something else. I'm doing just simply hands on in the emergency department. I could get um, I could use knowledge I've 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 earned or, or, or gained through school or, or reading and whatnot, and I could use it immediately. And I could see an immediate impact on a on a patient and a healthcare team. So it was really just self gratifying uh, and why I liked emergency medicine and it really kind of stuck. So all those things are still why I enjoy emergency medicine over anything else, uh, just because it, 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 I'm able to immediately use the information I I know and immediately have an impact and then see something good come from it. Uh, I'm very impatient. Uh, I have a very short attention span. I can't. I can't. That's characteristic like, of all of us in here. Yeah. yeah I can't. Uh, I can't adjust someone's like diabetes stuff and watch their A1C in right. A couple months and be like, ah, we got it. Right. I'm like, just come in when you're in
1: DKA. We'll fix you up. We'll get you some fluids. We'll get you some insulin, and then we'll help manage you then. Yeah. Yeah. I know how to fix that. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. So with all the experience you've done. So you, you kind of touched on a few things throughout your career so far. So you're um, the ED Pharmacy blog, right? Editor in chief of, of that. You've you went from that to doing YouTube videos. Um, you went from that and then you have, you have the burnout code that you wrote, the book you wrote, and then now um you are in the the high yield medicine reviews role that you're in um what keeps you excited about emergency medicine and what keeps you motivated to keep for me keep pushing the boundaries of what an ed pharmacist is and keep you going at your day-to-day at the same time
0: um i've been so i've been thinking about that because uh I don't know some people have asked me a similar question it's like how do you keep doing stuff or why do you keep doing stuff and um there's there's a long story to that i'll try to be as brief as i can but uh when i was in high school uh i played a lot of hockey because again i'm from canada Uh, right and i thought i was pretty good uh and you know i had hopes of making some professional team at, at some point in time anyway um, I thought I put a lot of effort and work into working out and training and practicing and, and whatnot. Um, but obviously I'm not a hockey player, that didn't work out. And one of the things that uh, was eye-opening to me uh, in, in, that, in that kind of formative years is that I thought I was working really hard and putting a lot of effort in. And then <clears throat> I, I knew of, and then I knew some, some guys that made it professionally. And then I discovered how much more they were working, and how much yeah. harder they they were putting in effort and waking up early, staying it late, and doing all everything conceivable. And then reflecting on what I was doing, and I was like, "There's I was not doing nearly as much work as they were doing, and putting the effort in that they were doing." Right. Um, so it was really eye opening early on in my life, <laughs> and it, I think it was really beneficial because. Uh, it kind of redefined uh, hard work, I guess you could say. Um, and I've I've tried to continue that thought process in my in my head throughout university and then my professional life. Where it's probably not the healthiest thing, but um, I always think of how how much harder someone else is working. And right. Like, am I working that hard? And I'm probably not. So <laughs> I just go back to work uh, and then try to figure out a better way to do something or um, I don't know it just put more effort in because I think I could probably put more effort in 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 this capacity. So part of a side effect of that kind of mentality shift that I that I had was well if I if I don't have something to do, I need to go find something else to do because I can't just sit still and yeah be like I'm nothing to do today. Uh, I have to go find something new. So Yeah, for sure. That's, that's one of the reasons why I started the blog, for example, is I just, there's lots of people writing blogs at the time. And I thought that was a good excuse to keep reading. And every time I read something, I write something about it. And then that kind of continued to grow and grow um, as it did. And then same thing with um, uh, the toxicology uh, ABAT certification also is that it's something I I wanted to do throughout my career, but... I mean, I'm not, I can't just want it. I have to put a lot of work into it. So I kept sure. working and working and working towards that. So <coughs> eventually ended up passing the exam. Same thing with um, with high yield uh, med reviews right now is same thing. I just had opportunities put in front of me and just kept working in as much as I could uh, and taking any opportunity I had. Um, that kind of goes into another piece of advice that I hear a lot of Uh, people I guess try to get and then and then also give is how to say no um, right yeah in in professional career Um, I guess I have probably a controversial uh, opinion on that I don't think I've said no to anything I don't know how much other people get asked to do stuff I don't get asked to do stuff that much Uh, so every time someone asks me I'm like yeah I could probably do that Um, right
1: yeah
0: no me I'm the same way yeah, so I I don't know, maybe, yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. maybe other people have like crazy inboxes uh, and get requests on a daily basis, and I understand you can't probably do that, but um, right, I, I got time.
1: Yeah, no, especially I, if it's something
0: I'm interested in, then I definitely have time.
1: Yeah, that's why I kind of like started the whole Instagram thing. It was more of a way to take a concept that I, that I can make funny, but also reinforce some of the things I know and then share that with other people and, and my thought it's always like come for the last
0: but take these educational pros with you when you leave kind of do yeah it. I mean that's been one of the most rewarding things I guess in in this stage of my career is that like I don't have to be like the pharmacy resident hopeful at mid-year kind of professional attitude and Right. I'll make sure I say all the right things to the right people. It's like, I can kind of say whatever I want now. Yeah, be you. No, you can, you be can like it or not. I don't care. I've got right. all this other stuff to do. Some people right. like it. Uh, exactly. <laughs> and if they don't, then that's fine. I'll have fewer emails in my inbox, which apparently isn't a problem for me.
1: <laughs> right. So I know, I know like that feeling of just, you can't, sometimes you, I don't know, maybe it was because for me, after residency, like I couldn't just sit and then just, so I was like, so I would contribute to like various blogs. I remember contributing to your blog mm. on a post, an ID stewardship blog and that kind of stuff. And uh, just to keep me practice writing so I can eventually do more writing, which I'm trying to practice at now and that kind of thing, just to explore other facets of my career to keep getting better and, and keep myself motivated to keep doing better.
0: Yeah. And I think, th- I, again, I think I share that as well. It's just, I, I need to keep getting better. If you're sitting still, you're probably getting past, uh, not that it's a competition, but you do need to stay relevant. And I'm sure you've had experiences too, where um, you've seen other pharmacists you've worked with uh, or work with currently that right. um, they, they, they're probably maybe 10 years more advanced in their career than you, but it's obvious that they're stuck because they haven't kept up on their professional education um, or their skills, and they really don't have the ability to move jobs anymore um, because they're just, they've, they've limited themselves. And that's something that I always was able to observe when I was an intern uh, in pharmacy school and then throughout my career is that I just don't want to have that option taken away from me. Um, in my career, because I still don't know what I want to do when I grow up, I, I I I'm doing what I do right now because I, I enjoy it, but right. want to have the opportunity to to change if that's something I I feel like I need to do, and the only way to do that is to keep your options open.
1: Yeah, I'm the same way. My my uh, <clears throat> my dad tells me that all the time. Funny enough, he's always like <laughs> he's like the opposite. Like when people <laughs> say, just say notice him, he's like. No, good. Keep saying yes to everything because you just never know when you're going to need that
0: skill. Apply it to yeah. your job. Yeah, it's very true. Um, and then, <clears throat> kind of like coming into what I'm doing now with high yield Meta Reviews, Again, it's it was an opportunity that um, I just I it was a couple years ago. Uh, I met Tony uh, Tony Bustai. He's the uh, owner uh, uh, director of the company, um, and he I met him through. My former boss at uh, at Christus, because she was a resident of his when he was a pharmacist. He's a physician now, um, but oh, wow. he had come to do a a talk to our clinical team uh, about just medical education and and the importance of it, which is something we we all agreed on. But it was interesting, and the the the, the first moment. <clears throat> that I thought we were gonna get along and I knew we were gonna get along <laughs> as he opened his lecture with an a, an Osler quote. And I was like, oh, I've never heard anyone else mention that. And that's really interesting. So, right. and all everything else kind of stemmed from that. But um, yeah, I, I, I got an opportunity to, uh, to write some practice exam questions for him. Again, didn't say no. Uh, kept working really hard with that, <coughs> got more opportunities to do things with him. Again, absolutely. Uh, let me know what I can do and try to do a good job. And I, again, opportunities kept growing. And right. then, now there's an opportunity. Um, I can't talk about all the things we're gonna end up doing in the near future. Um, you'll just kind of have to stay tuned and, and watch, but uh, yeah. there's some really exciting things we're gonna do uh, with the company going forward that, um, again, it started from, again, not saying no. It's like, I probably didn't have time, but I made time um, to to do these things. because right. Not because I knew or thought it was going to lead to something else, but A, I, there, there's no reason to not do it. Um, it seemed like a good opportunity. I was going to learn something, a new skill, um, <coughs> refine other knowledge I had, and just kept working. So um, anyone else that has similar opportunities, I would just encourage to do the same thing.
1: Right, right, yeah. It's a, one of those things is you, you make time for the things that you want to do. There's no such thing as I probably don't have time for that. You, if you want to do it, you'll make time for it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you're probably the the number one pharmacist I think of when I think of social media as far as was there when, when you had uh, your Twitter, the ED PharmD blog, and a uh, huge fan. Follow all your stuff. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> and um, uh, just a quick thing. I remember one of the first times I actually met you was at mid-year. And I was presenting my PGY-2 project at the time, which I think was doing the um, HIV kits from the emergency department
0: uh-huh.
1: uh, for occupation and non-occupational patients that present with exposures. Mm-hmm. And I remember you had taken a picture of my poster at midyear, and that was the highlight. Not, nothing else happened that mid-year for me. Like that was it. I was like, "Oh my god, you just took a picture! It was so awesome!" I don't know if you remember that. You probably don't from all from all the midyears and stuff you've been But I was just like, "This is so cool!" And everyone was like, "What's wrong with you?" I was like, "What's wrong with y'all?" y'all
0: that was really funny.
1: Uh, but um, so, what was that? I know you had, you had touched on it a little bit ago, like just saying like, just being able to do stuff. Was that kind of like the motivation for all the, the social media and uh, let, let's get the word out there is like, because one of the questions I always get is like one from new physicians is why is a pharmacist in the ER or from new team members? Why why are you always saying like, that's always been like a running theme of when when I come to the ER and I'm trying to like, just say the E an ED pharmacist is just, a, it's a little bit, different from what you're used to when you look at a pharmacist?
0: Yeah. So, uh, that was definitely part of it. Like early on, um, I think this was probably 2011 or 2012 ish. Um, when a lot of the blog and foam stuff was starting, um, right. Yeah. Like, and, and it was like the MCRIT and, uh, I think that was the primary blog, at least I was following, um, yeah. and a few people on Twitter were starting to get really prevalent and popular and grow a following. But that was the most obvious thing: is that, well, this is physicians, obviously, uh, talking about medicine, which is relevant to them. Um, but obviously, there's a missing voice of the pharmacists, and I know Brian Hayes was uh, early on yeah, uh, involved absolutely. with it pretty early as well. Um, but it was like, oh, there's just one. Um, yeah, let's try it. Right. Uh, there's no rules to this. So, right. uh, yeah. uh, let's, uh, write a blog. Uh, so I just started saying, hey, um, I'm a pharmacist in the ER. Uh, I know something about what you're talking about. Uh, sure. let me write about a, a drug related to that. So like, honestly, it, it took no thought in, in, in doing it. And, and again, I, I don't know if that's something I think, and I, I know it's, <coughs> I guess different from the the pharmacist mentality in general, where um, most pharmacists, the stereotypical pharmacists can't do anything unless everything has been thought about. Uh, there's a guideline for it. Um, yeah, there's some sort of recommendation behind it. Like it makes sense. We're going to do this because it makes sense. And that's rational. Um, right. For some reason, my head doesn't work like that. I'm, totally fine doing something completely irrational. It kind of makes sense. I understand it a little bit, but right. um, with a the blog, there was really no reason to not do it. Um, it was free to start a blogger account at the time. Um, right. And then if no one reads it, then it'll just go away. If no one finds it valuable, it'll just go away. And it didn't, it just kind of grew because <coughs> myself uh, and Nadia were doing valuable content that was either needed or uh, missing from the general uh, internet, I guess, at the time, or foam at the time. So, right. I mean, it, it started um, just because it, it, it seemed like a good idea. Uh, no one else was doing it, so there's no competition. Uh, not that competition would have really um, stopped us, uh, and right. I don't think it should stop anybody. Um, but uh that that's kind of where it started and it's it's always kind of been that been that same type of mentality for me in terms of uh continuing things and, and trying to change as as um as I grew as well. And again, that's why the blog has kind of changed in, in what it's uh been contributing over the years, because I my interests change, so I don't really want to talk about the same things that have been talked about ad nauseum on, on blogs and whatnot. And there's so many, there's only so many uses of ketamine you can talk about until you can't write blogs about it anymore. Um, so it, it, to me, it was always okay to move on, um, rather than just hold on to something because it made me successful in some, in some capacity. Um, I, I, I never really, uh, thought I owed, I guess, the content something. So yeah, again, we, we changed, we're doing a lot of this now, uh, which I, I enjoy I I, I right. think that's what, one thing we miss uh, a lot uh, from conferences is getting to know other pharmacists. And um, the other thing too is, is just making sure we talk to different pharmacists and getting different perspective. And that's something Absolutely. that just isn't available. So it's the easiest thing to do to make it available because there's no rules to follow. I can just make it up as I go along. Right. And that's
1: a that's a beautiful feeling, I would say, like you don't have there are no guidelines, there's no cookie cutter mold,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, which could be a double edged sword when you look at some of this stuff out there. But um, it, it's fun and it's nice to use your imagination and, and this is your, your kind of vision and this is what I see and this is what I take and can contribute yeah to all the stuff that's out there
0: yeah i mean it another piece of it too was uh some advice i got when i was first starting as faculty um and the if, if if you're interested in getting if someone out there is interested in becoming faculty or uh growing your career in academia like one of the things that was communicated to me was the only way you get promoted which is something you probably want in your career uh, is to get famous uh because the school is going to want to promote you and they're not going to promote someone that isn't famous. So you primarily get famous through research um, right. and publication. So <clears throat> the like, you don't get famous through just being a really great teacher, unfortunately. Um, so one of the things that uh, drove the blog, especially when I was faculty at Rutgers was kind of the in interest in again advancing my academic career, um, but it coupled uh, you know, good, good research and good publications with it, but it was a good way to kind of get publications out there and get them recognized, uh, pretty sure. easily. Cause otherwise <coughs> you're relying on PubMed, which doesn't have any marketing, uh, to do the work for you and, uh, right. or, or meetings <coughs> like mid-year or some other meeting that you, you go to, to get your word out, but then you're at the control of their schedule and their reviewers and, and whatnot. So, right. um, it was, it was one method to do that, and again, it was kind of funny to look back on it <clears throat> now how, <clears throat> excuse me, how I don't want to say opposed, but um, there are a lot of people that were uh, skeptical of social media sure. in academia um, early on when we were starting out, um, and, and how full circle it's really come uh, right. for a lot of those folks now.
1: No, absolutely. <clears throat> So one of the interesting things uh, about your career is also um, the this thing about conquering burnout. So, so can you take us tell us your experience uh, of burnout and what were the ways you conquered it? Like one of the things I always find funny is, and I say the same thing too. Like the the key to burnout is not yoga. It's, it's so much more that,
0: yeah. so much
1: more than than that
0: um yeah yeah definitely
1: uh, your burnout and and how you conquered that
0: yeah my that's changed a lot too uh yeah burnout sucks because um and i don't know if it's something related to something in the profession itself um because one of the projects i was involved with and we had a great publication the the team did a huge amount of work on it and surveying a lot of pharmacists and trying to get an idea of what is in the profession or among the profession that is causing this and you can read all these papers that compare us to other medical professions like nursing and, and medicine um, and the, the the amount of burnout is so much higher in pharmacists but the the actions related to it so either you know at one extreme uh, suicide and self-harm yeah. is much lower amongst pharmacists than any other profession and then also Leaving the profession to go do something else is much lower among pharmacists right. than nurses and physicians, but our burnout is way higher, and it's very perplexing um, why that is. But anyway, in in my own experience, uh, yeah, like I I was really demotivated to do anything at some point because I felt as though the work wasn't going anywhere. I was making the same recommendations over and over again. Right. Nothing was changing. Uh, it, it just became monotonous and repetitive, and <clears throat> at some point, I'm like, "Well, what's the point? Like, I could I'm going to keep doing this for the next 35 years or 40 years." And I'm doing this, yeah. <clears throat> I don't know. There's a lot of other kind of psychological things going on at the time too, where I was just getting tired and um, not really doing like participating in in life, I guess, outside of work, um, which I think right. contributed that. To that as well. So um, <clears throat> one thing that I think contributed to me not feeling burnt out anymore was actually doing more work, <coughs> which is <coughs> insane. Uh, you flipped it on him.
1: I can definitely identify with that.
0: <coughs> Excuse me. So I think When I first started studying for the ABAT exam, I was probably more burnt out than I'd ever been. Right. Um, And then I studied for two years because I I failed the exam once, Uh, but I studied for two years. um, Right. And I I studied for the first time through the exam, I studied for about six months, most days of the week for uh, an hour or two here or there. Uh, The second time around, uh, recognizing how difficult the exam was, I, I definitely increased studying to It was probably about 10 months of studying, uh, every day of the week, um, at least an hour or two, uh, of reading or studying or something. Right. Um, And kind of in the middle of it, I was reflecting on, I guess, my life at the time. And I'm like, I'm working, like I, my daughter was born, like we're doing all kinds of stuff around the house. Sure. Um, all this stuff going on in my life, in addition to studying, in addition to work, in addition to all this other stuff, I never felt busier, but um, I wasn't burnt out anymore. Um, I was right. kind of refreshed, which was very strange and perplexing because I thought burnout was because I had worked too hard, uh, and that's not the case. It was finding work that was meaningful to me again. <clears throat> Again, you, I've reflected on this too, where you think back to school, again, or in residency, you're more tired, you have less money, you're hungry, like physically <laughs> like hungry because you can't afford to buy food. Um, and But you're not burnt out. Right. Like you're tired, but you know, there's light at the end of the tunnel. You know, you're working towards something, you're finding value okay. in the work. Um, and I think that's what it was, is that the, the work I had been doing, I didn't find value in. I didn't know where it was going. Um, and then once I fixed that, I fixed burnout. Um, and I didn't have to change my job. I didn't have to find a new job. I think that's probably one of the biggest mistakes people make is changing a job and thinking that's going to fix your burnout. It won't because you're just going to be exchanging, you're not solving the problem. Right. Um, you need to find some, something to work on, uh, that's valuable to you. And that could be anything. Um, it doesn't have to be an exam. <coughs> it could be, um, it doesn't have to be a project. Um, it could be, it, it, it could be, I don't know. Uh, but you have to figure that out for yourself and fi- find right. something valuable um, and put all your effort into that. Um, and then once you've accomplished that, you have to find the next thing. Uh, right. I think it's just, it's, it's so simple, um, but it's the, I, I I don't know how else to explain <clears throat> How how I was able to do all that work without changing anything else, um, right. and then also feel psychologically better, <clears throat> and then at the kind of at the worst of it too, one of the uh, physicians I had uh, gotten fairly close with uh, killed himself uh, here, oh, wow. uh, and that I took that really really hard, right, um, and it, I, I think that was probably one of the more transformative, <coughs> excuse me, things also where it's just like i don't feel like that uh i can't imagine right. what it felt like uh but uh yeah it 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 makes it, i i had a lot of wake up calls and that was one of them kind of evaluating where i was in my own life too um right. and not wanting to continue to go forward in in that capacity so uh things had to change uh and fortunately i did um and uh, it worked out. So I, the, the problem is is that right now I don't know as, as you can tell, I can't articulate yeah. <laughs> all these things very well. Um, so yeah, I don't know how awesome. to tell someone else right. what to do, and I don't really know if that's possible um, to fix kind of what they're feeling like. Um, right. But uh, yeah, I'm trying to figure that out, I guess, and hopefully other people can figure that out before they get to a point like that, uh, right. which would be tragic.
1: Yeah, I think everyone has obviously good and bad days, um, especially in regard to their their job and whatever capacity they do, uh, ER pharmacists versus non-ED pharmacists. Um, but I think you're absolutely right. You just need to find, there cause there's like a lot of, I guess lateral movements in what we do, not necessarily like my wife will ask me, cause I've been telling her like, oh, I want to take the exam meeting with, our medical toxicologist to put a plan in place so I can shadow and study it and get their recommendations and and help teach the E D residents that, that rotate through there and that kind of thing. He goes, well do you get do you get paid more? I'm like, well n- well no. <laughs> you, well do you get anything else out of it? I'm like it's more a personal goal and personal satisfaction. And then you're absolutely right. You got to do things in your life that is related to work that is also gratifying to you. So you find that excitement and you find that want. There's always going to be things that you have to do, but you also need to incorporate things that you want to do. Mm -hmm. So the things that you have to do don't always supersede what you want to do.
0: Yeah. I mean, I... I talk about him all the time because I idolize him a little bit, but like Elon Musk, for example, there's all kinds of crap he has to do on a daily basis that he doesn't want right. to do. Uh, but he gets to do a small part of the things he wants to do, like build rockets to Mars and build right. flamethrowers. But that's not everything he does every day. Okay. He's got to do a whole bunch of stuff he doesn't want to do. And the only way he can stay motivated to do the other stuff is that he's worked really hard and prepared to be able right. to do all those things. So. <laughs> again, I idolize them probably more than I should, but um, <laughs> like I, that's that's probably one of the the more motivating uh, things and, and things that I've felt um, helped also is kind of finding someone that I can not idolize or model after, but at least look to to say, you know what, I could probably again kind of going back to my sixteen year old self. It's like I'm probably not working as hard as I right I am Um, I probably could work harder if this is something I want so I need to figure out how to do that Um, and again using someone like that (laughs) and anyone else can find someone that they identify with either someone like Obama or I don't know who Oprah is a good (laughs) honestly a really good uh, uh, um, I guess model person Uh, but I mean I don't know yeah it's 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 something that I don't know, it's, yeah. and I, I'm sure my dad tried to explain this to me too, and I just didn't as <laughs> I was a teenager, but I'm he's probably watching like, yeah, I told you
1: that. <laughs> whole time. Why didn't you listen, Craig? <laughs> no, my dad, my dad tells me that every time I see him, he's like, you just gotta, you just gotta work hard, Papu. I'm like, I know, I know, dad, I know. Yeah, yeah I know, I know. It, so it is Thanksgiving week, and I know you always put up uh, once in a while on your blog recipes for these beautiful pictures of your bread and stuff. Like uh, that. So is there anything that's exciting for you that you want to make for Thanksgiving this year? Uh,
0: well, I always do. I make the turkeys and I get, again, I probably get too controlling over it. In my <laughs> It's like, it's just, it's just Turkey. But um, so I follow again, cause I love the way he thinks uh, Alton Brown from the food network. Oh, he's the uh, best. Yeah, so again, a very analytical mind, uh, someone that can explain things very well, uh, but not afraid to kind of do something interesting. So I follow his turkey recipes, but um, the, I've changed things a little bit. So um, A, I do the turkey brine, which I actually have to go and put the turkeys in in the brine right now before I go to work. But um, so I do that. And then, but before I do that, I debone them. Um, oh, nice. Yeah, so, and that's also something that really, Sounds hard to do, but then there's an old YouTube video from Jacques Pepin. So he's like a 90s TV chef uh, from uh-huh. back in the day. Uh, but he's got a really easy way to debone any kind of bird, I guess. Right. Um, and you can do it for chickens and turkeys and ducks and all kinds of stuff. But anyway, so I debone them and then brine them. <coughs> and then in, I'm in Texas, so I'll, I'll smoke one. And then the other kind of like a traditional roasting way. Um, and then yeah, then it's it's super good. But also I'll make some bread, uh, started some bread this morning. Nice. Uh, again, it's that's one of the things that is really therapeutic for me because it's it's uh, it's something regular I do. I also like it. And if you buy your right. own bread, it gets really expensive. I'm also very yeah. cheap. So uh, <laughs> it's a good way to make good bread, but also very cheap. I remember we made, uh,
1: we made our own hollow once and that, that was fun. Right? <laughs> That's yeah. like all the, the chemistry and all that kind of stuff that goes into cooking too. Like you need your precise measurements and, and then sometimes you can go off the cuff and add whatever you want to make it either taste better or taste a whole lot worse. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, that can happen.
1: <laughs> um, do you have any favorite uh, Thanksgiving traditions?
0: Um, Again, I'm from Canada, so Thanksgiving's in October up uh, there. So, uh, I'm new to this whole November Thanksgiving thing. Uh, right. I've been here for a while, so I guess it's not that new. But uh, no, I like I enjoy just the the food in general, um, yeah. and then relaxing. Uh, my wife's pregnant right now, so I'm, we're not Friends. drinking. Yeah, thanks. Uh, but normally this time, like we used to drink a lot of wine. Uh, right. when We didn't have kids, but. Uh, Kids have changed that too, but uh, this time of year there's a a special wine that's released every year called Beaujolais Nouveau. It's okay, yeah. It's 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 this old French wine that uh, Beaujolais Nouveau. So it's a it's a new harvest. Uh, It's fresh grapes, so it's and it's not really aged. It's got an interesting flavor, but it it pairs really well with Thanksgiving stuff. Um, So I used to drink lots of that around this time, Uh, but not this year because we're not drinking. obviously because she's pregnant. right
1: right is there uh so what's your favorite like uh thanksgiving side dish that you like to eat
0: oh man um
1: so many of them
0: yeah uh I, i guess like stuffing is probably up there um and that was the other thing too uh i don't know why i don't know if it's just my family but in canada i didn't know there was a difference between stuffing and dressing uh and like right yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I didn't i don't know if that's a thing in canada which is strange i think it's just there's just dressing i don't anyway i tried one thinking <laughs> it was the other uh and then i was very off-put by it ever since but i guess sweet potato sweet potatoes are probably a, a good close second
1: nice My my uh mom makes a mean thanksgiving dinner we so we're obviously uh, hispanic heritage so we don't we never really did the traditional meal of like the the turkey or the ham it was more like uh like a roast pork or lechon is what they call it or a perni oh. and like a rice and beans kind of thing which is like my favorite um but my wife makes the meanest uh green bean casserole it's it's the best and i have to say it because she's my wife and she can <laughs> <prep>. yeah <laughs> so in, the, in this year uh wrapping up with all the stuff that's going on this year Um, What are you most thankful for
0: in 2020? I'm thankful to live in Tyler, Texas right now. uh, Because we're just, I'm so glad no one knows where Tyler, Texas is. And I hope it stays that way. (laughs) Because I didn't know where it was before I moved here. And even though I've been here for five years now, and I've explained it to so many people, they still don't know where it is. And that's fine with me. uh, Because we live in this weird, isolated bubble uh, of, the world doesn't affect us as much as it is affected elsewhere and it's it's fun to watch the world from Tyler uh because we it it stayed the same for better or worse for so long um even with coronavirus so uh I mean I love it here I don't want everyone to leave um and also doesn't snow uh there you go it snows like once every three years and then everyone loses their mind uh but it's pretty funny uh but um yeah, I'm excited. I, I, I'm really thankful for that. Um, and also I'm wearing like uh, a Tyler beer shirt. It says, I heart Tyler beer. Uh, or It's a local brewery. Again, we have like, that's one of the things I explained about Tyler. It's like, we have one of everything. We don't have two. Like if, if you don't like the one, you're out of luck. Like we have one, <laughs> well, we have two breweries, but like one's only good. And there's right. one good grocery store and there's like one good hospital and there's one good movie theater if when that was a thing but um anyway (laughs) i'm very thankful to live here it's nice
1: awesome awesome man craig man thank you so much for your time today thank you for giving me the opportunity (sighs) to interview you so you can tell us about yourself
0: oh well Uh, thanks for the idea it was all it was all you're doing uh yeah thanks for taking some time today too
1: no absolutely anytime and uh i can't wait till we can do it again soon me too me too all right, man. Thank you, man.